interesting to start out. Um, and so I'll give you a little bit of context of the story. We were in, uh, we were at Dunes Bible Camp for our summer camp this summer with the high school. And um, there was an incident that happened. Um, I'm not going to go into the details of this incident. Um, if the person who it happened to ever wants to come out and tell you guys, he can. Um, but just a little of the backstory. Um, I'll, I'll give you kind of what it involved a little bit. There was a car, the ocean, and a tow truck. Um, so the next morning, we were at the tow truck driver's office, and uh, things were taking a little bit longer um, than usual, and so he was just telling us stories, and he had a lot of good stories to tell. Um, so he's been doing it there. So if you guys have ever been to Long Beach or looked at a map, you know that um, Long Beach is out on a peninsula. Um, there's a couple other towns there, and his office was actually in Ocean Park, so a little town north of Long Beach. Um, and through the many years he's been towing, tra- towing uh, <clears throat> vehicles out on the peninsula, there's been different, uh, there, there's, at most there's been two tow truck drivers, another company, um, but a lot of the time it's just been him, which means that he's on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's got to have his phone available to go tow somebody out of whatever situation. It doesn't leave a whole lot of room for vacations, does it? But this one year, he finally had the chance to take a vacation. He got his business covered, and for Thanksgiving, he was going to go out and see his family in Idaho. So he heads out to Idaho, but he left his son behind. His son's 17 or 18 years old, somewhere around there, and he had just gotten a job. And so he had to stay back so that he could work. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, talking to his son before he left, he said, okay, absolutely no one is allowed inside of our house. You can't have any friends over. Nobody is allowed to come over and step foot inside of our house. And the son said, oh, yeah, of course, Dad, whatever. So he leaves, goes out to Idaho, and he gets a phone call from a police officer in Ocean Park. He says, hey, uh, hey, Mac, are you home? He said, uh, no, what's going on? He said, well, we just got a 911 hang-up call from your house. He says, oh, no. He says, do you want us to send someone out there? He's like, yeah, send someone out there. So he calls his son up. He says, hey, what's going on? He says, what are you talking about? Nothing. Nothing's going on. He says, well, I just got to, who, who's calling 911? Why are, you know, the, the cops are on the way over to the house right now, so you better explain yourself. So then he hears his son's story. So he had some people over. And um, <clears throat> it, like I said, he was 17 or 18, somewhere around there. And uh, so most of his friends were that age. Um, But then one 24-year-old decided to show up. He wasn't invited or anything, and he was causing problems. He was pushing people around. They didn't want him there. Um, And so the son broke a beer bottle over the back of his head, ended up um, unconscious, bleeding on the ground. And so they called 911. Well, he woke up as they were calling, so they hung up. (laughs) So he gets done telling his dad the story, and he's like, I told you no one could step foot inside the house. What do you... He's like, no one did step foot in the house. He's like, what are you talking about? You see, um, they, uh, he said, we, we were out on the deck. Well, their house had only a second-story deck, and you could only get to it by going through the house. He said, well, you had to go through the house to get to the, to get to the deck? He's like, no, we tied a rope, and people climbed up. From his point of view, he knew what his dad meant. He knew that his dad didn't want anybody over. But because his dad had said, as long as they're not inside the house, he took that and he used it to his advantage. He knew what his dad meant, but he twisted his words, twisted his meaning to mean something for himself. 
We're going to be talking this morning out of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is a letter that was written from Paul to Timothy. There's a lot of Paul's letters in the New Testament. Actually, most of the New Testament is Paul's letters. Usually, Paul is writing to a church, though. We see Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians, Romans. He's writing to a church. But in this situation, he was writing to a pastor of a church. He was writing to Timothy, a friend of his that was a pastor at the church of Ephesus. You guys know the book of Ephesians kind of talks about that, so there's a kind of a connection there. So, Paul... Sound good, Eric? I don't like these mics anyways. So he's writing a, uh, a letter to Timothy. And, uh, but this, even though it is a letter to this individual, it wasn't meant to be just for him. This letter, as you guys read it, um, oftentimes, as, you know, as I was reading through this, I'd forget that he was even writing this to one person. This letter was meant to be overheard. It was meant to be read over Timothy's shoulder. It was meant for the church in Ephesus to read. It was meant for other people to read. So I want to come with that understanding to this. And as I first opened 1 Timothy and I read through it, I'm like, oh man, what am I supposed to talk about here? Because there's so many different things in it. I knew that I couldn't talk about them all. And yet, what was the main point of this book? What was the main thrust of this? Because as I went through, okay, there's warning against false teachers. Um, it talks about praying for all people. It talks about elders and deacons and um, um, you know, people leaving the faith, other false teachers, instructions for the church. Um, you know, talks about uh, women and young people and all this different stuff. And I just went, man, what am I going to do with this? But there is a key verse in First Timothy, and that's what I want to talk a little bit about today. Um, so it's First Timothy three fourteen through fifteen. And this um, kind of gives the purpose, but also the main idea for this book right here. And he says, so in chapter 3, verse 14, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So let's kind of explore that a little bit. Let's talk about that verse right there. It says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So he's saying, okay, if I don't make it back, if I don't get a chance to talk to you, I'm writing these things. Why? I'm writing these things so that you can know what church is all about, so that you can know what the church is and how the church should function. You guys know the story of Paul as you read Acts. Um, There was a lot of uncertainty he had. He wasn't sure wasn't sure of much besides the Holy Spirit convicted him that he was going to be imprisoned and in every city he went to. He was going to be persecuted. And so Paul knew that he might not make it back to the Ephesians. And even if he did, it might not be for a while. And so he wanted to give them instructions for the church. And he uses a few different phrases there. The household of God, how you ought to behave in the household of God. We right now are in the household of God. But I'm not talking about this building. Oftentimes we try to, to attribute holiness and sacredness to a church building, but that's not the church. This just happens to be where we meet. The body of Christ, the people that are here this morning, we are the household of God. Whether we meet in a church, a school, a warehouse, 
outside. It doesn't matter. We are the household of God. And he says in that next phrase, which is the church of the living God. The church of the living God. Our God is alive. And that's important. Our God didn't die on the cross that day and never come back. He raised from the dead. And we serve the living God. Not a dead God. A living God. So it's the household of God, the church of the living God. And then this last phrase is what we're going to be talking about this morning. It says, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Um, Nobody uses the word buttress, so let's say support for this morning, okay? A pillar and support of the truth. Now, what does that mean for the church? The church is a pillar and a support of the truth. Does that mean the church creates truth? The church is the one who decides what's true or not? No. God is the one who decides what's true. God is the one who gives his truth. The church just holds it up so everybody can see. That support, holding up the truth, that's one of the purposes of the church that we're going to talk about. I would even say the main purpose of the, of the church is to uphold the truth, is to show everyone the truth, and that's, that's what evangelism is about. That's what everything is about, is showing the world, showing other people what the truth is. But as I mentioned, 1 Timothy also talks about false teachers and false teachings. In fact, a few different times in there, he talks about false teachings. And if we're supposed to uphold the truth, how are we going to do that if there's false teachings, false teachers in our midst? And so I want to talk a little bit about twisted truth this morning. In Acts 20, uh, Paul is talking to the elders and he says, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. From among your own selves, men will will come and speak twisted things. It says before, fierce wolves will come among you. Paul knows that there's going to be these false teachers, that these false teachings are going to come, and that's what he's warning the Ephesians about. That's what he's warning Timothy about in this letter. And so I want to talk to you guys a little bit about that this morning. And I don't want to spend too long on this part of it, but I want to look at some of what are some of the false teachings that we have in in the, in the world today, in the United States, maybe even in this church, in this community? What are some of those false teachings that we're believing? So one of the things I realized as I was kind of looking this stuff up is that bumper stickers and church signs are notorious for having bad theology, okay? They have whole websites dedicated to bad church signs, and I, I just want to say that I am very thankful that we do not put that stuff on our church sign. We keep it simple, and uh, we don't try to make funny jokes and stuff because a lot of times they end up bad. So I've seen um, a lot of these examples um, between, between the two. Not that having bumper stickers is bad or anything. Just make sure your theology is good or make sure the little phrase isn't going to be mistaken by somebody else. But one of the ideas that we often get confused in our mind today, one of the false teachings that comes up is this idea that God will punish us, punish us for the bad things that we do. Now, I don't know, as I just said that, what you guys are thinking right now. Maybe some of you guys are thinking, yeah, that sounds right. Maybe some of you guys aren't. There's a lot of speaking of God's wrath in certain churches in the world, in the United States even, that, that focus on God is pouring out his wrath, God is doing all these, all these things to people. And it is true that, that God's, God's wrath will be poured out. It is true that, that he will do that. But as believers in Christ, God will not punish us, punish us for the things he's already forgiven us for. If you are a believer, if 
you've accepted that gift from Christ, then he's already forgiven your sins. Jesus Christ took the blame for our sins. And so God will not punish us, punish us for the things he's already forgiven us for. I hope you guys understand that. Don't think that the bad things that are happening to you in this life are because you did something against God. Okay? Now, there are natural consequences to sin. Sin isn't a good thing, and there are consequences that go with it. doesn't mean that God is, is specifically punishing you. And there's also natural consequences to living in a fallen world. Sickness that, that you couldn't prevent. doesn't matter how good of a person you are. We live in a fallen world, and so that will come. But God does not punish you for the things he's already forgiven you for. The second one, kind of on the other side, is um, I think it's, it's been a movement that's going, been going on for a while. Um, and actually one of the biggest churches in America right now has, is, is a part of this. And that is the prosperity gospel. This idea, almost on the opposite side, that if I follow God, if I follow his commandments, if I, if I do everything right, then, he, then God will bless me with riches and success in this life. And on the other side, if I don't follow him, then, or if, if I'm not blessed with riches, if I'm not successful and, and have lots of money, then I must be doing something wrong. And I've even heard people say this kind of thing. Oh, that bad thing's happening in your life? Oh, you need to figure out what's wrong in your life. You need to figure out what you're doing you know, that God doesn't like so that he will bless you. And that's not true. They twist the words out of a lot of the verses in the Bible. The, verses t- the, verse, the Bible talks a lot about blessings. As we read in Proverbs and Psalms and many other places, the Bible talks about blessings. But God does not make a promise to his followers that we will have lots of money. He doesn't make a promise that we will have, um, have great success, be really popular. He doesn't even promise us our health. Unfortunately, this prosperity gospel movement is really attractive to people. People want to believe in God so that he will bless them with riches, and that's not true. Another false teaching that goes along with these different things. Uh, another one is uh, that there, there are many ways to God. That there are many different ways. Um, it's, you know, it's all about... Um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, that, that, you know... If you follow any of these different religions, they all lead to the same God, so it's not a big deal. And that's really attractive, for one thing, because we don't want to accidentally pick the wrong religion, so we just assume that all of them lead towards God. And we're very accepting in this culture, and in some ways that's good, but in this way it's not good. Because we know in John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Guys, there's no other way but through Jesus Christ. And don't get it in our heads that there's many different ways to God. That really, any, all the religions are the same because ours is different. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. Um, you guys have heard postmodernism thrown around a lot, which I don't. If it even is still alive, it's probably not going to last much longer. But this idea that that there's no such thing as absolute truth, that truth is what you make it. Believe whatever you want, and that's true for you. And as Christians, we can't believe that. Because if the Bible, if we can pick and choose what we want out of it, then it means nothing. If truth is relative, the Bible has no importance. But if truth isn't, 
And if the Bible is true, then that makes all the difference. Paul identifies a couple in here. So I want to read um, out of chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devouting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Now this one made me think of a couple things when I first read it. Um, so he's talking about these false teachings. He says, in later times, some will come, and they're, re- they're going to require abstinence from marriage and from food. Now the marriage one, um, maybe, maybe you can think of some examples when people say, no, God doesn't, you know, for, for certain people, God says that they shouldn't get married, you know, um, just within, sorry, certain people uh, would, would say that. You know, for instance, with Catholic priests, you know, this idea that forbidding marriage. And that just, that comes to mind when I read that. The other one is food. Now, that just initially brought up a lot. There's a big push today in abstaining from certain foods, right? Now, what I'm going to say before you guys get mad at me or anything, if, if you, you're into that, okay? Um, the, the purpose of this is for spiritual reasons, right? If you don't want to eat chocolate cake because you, you, you know, want to keep your figure or something, that's fine. Um, but keeping people from abstaining from other foods for religious reasons isn't right. For saying that God says you shouldn't eat that food. God says you shouldn't, you know, eat, eat this food. And so that one kind of coming out as well. Um, and, you know, back then it, it might have been referring to the meat sacrificed by idols, that sort of thing. Um, I, I don't know an example of it today. Um, but I did find something interesting in here. This last, this last verse that I read is that everything should be received with thanksgiving. And it says, um, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So I figured something out, okay? A lot of us are trying not to eat food so that we can, you know, stay healthy, that sort of thing. But what I see right here is all you have to do is pray beforehand for the food, okay? You have to pray and bless the food. Say, God, please turn this chocolate cake into salad when it hits my stomach, and you'll be good, okay? Does that sound good? Now, hopefully most of you didn't believe that. But that's just another example of ways that we can twist the truth of the Bible, we can take a little thing out of the Bible, and now, granted, I mean, that one's a stretch. I might be able to get the kids on that one, but um, you guys are going to know. But it's so easy for us to take the words of the Bible and twist them. Make them mean what we want when it doesn't mean that. And that's the bad thing about what's happening here. And there's many times in my life where I've done it too. Now, I will say that I've never intentionally done it while preaching, okay? So that's good. Um, and I don't think I've really accidentally done it that bad while preaching. Um, but one of the things I found when I've... Don't make me feel bad. <laughs> one of the things when I first um, started going to school, first started getting into ministry, a couple different people told me, you will preach sermons that you will look back on and go, oh my gosh, why did I say that? Now, I don't think I've ever said anything really wrong, um, but I've probably missed the point on quite a few of my, my sermons um, when I'm younger. And I may look back at this one someday and go, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? But it's important that I, as a pastor, 
preaching to you guys on Sundays, preaching um, to the youth on Wednesdays, that I'm not going to twist the truth. Figuring out what the Bible is really saying, what, figuring out what God is really saying, that truth, that's important. But in order to know the truth, we shouldn't be focusing on the lies. And I always hate when I contradict myself in sermons, um, but all that stuff I just said, that's not what we should be focusing on, right? And I probably spent way too much time on that. In order to know the truth, we don't focus on the lies, we focus on the truth, and that's what this is about. And so what is that truth? Let's get back to what is that truth, and that is the gospel. Now we throw around the word gospel a lot. I do it a ton. But I want to come back to what does gospel actually mean? What does that word mean? It means good news. It's a word that means good news. And so why do we refer to the Bible as the gospel? Because it's the best news. It's the greatest news. And I've said this before. You know, we use the word gospels for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But really, this whole thing is the gospel. This whole thing is one story, all saying the same thing. It's about Jesus and God. This is the gospel here. I don't know if you maybe heard this before, but I've heard it. Preachers use it quite a few times, so hopefully I'm not overusing it. But people, there's people um, that like work for the government that look for counterfeit money. And when they're looking for counterfeit money, when, they, when they're training in that, they look at a bunch of different counterfeit money to see the different areas that are, that's wrong with it? No. They look at real money. They look at the authentic stuff, and they study that so that when counterfeit money comes across, they know instantly this is wrong. This isn't true. And that's how we need to be with the Bible. We need to be looking at the gospel to better understand it so that when those false teachings, when those false doctrines come across, we know that's not right. There's something wrong with that. We need to know what this story is about, that this story is about we it's about us who are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are dead to ourselves, but God, being rich in mercy, sent his son, his only son, to die for us so that we could have eternal life with him. And that's what this whole book is about. But you know, I don't want you guys to just write what I just said down and study that and memorize that so that anytime someone comes up, you can just repeat it. No, because there's a difference between knowing what I just said and understanding the word of God. And if you want to understand the Word of God, we need to be in it daily. Um, I was talking with Ethan a couple weeks ago. We were talking about music and stuff. And he gave me a quote from a famous musician, um, Joshua Hyphus. I don't know if that's how you say his name. He said, the discipline of practice every day is essential. When I skip a day, I notice a difference in my playing. After two days, the critics notice. And after three days, everyone notices. Now, you'd think with a famous musician, somebody who's so good at their instrument could go months without playing it and then pick it up and play it again, but that's not true. I don't know much about it, but talking with Ethan and Evan about it, I mean, those guys that play in symphonies and stuff, they're practicing like four hours a day. And when they don't practice, that's when they start to slip. When I'm not in my Bible for a day, I notice. When I'm not in my Bible for two days, other pastors and people notice. When I'm not in my Bible for three days, everyone will notice. And maybe it's a little bit different with preaching 
but it's the same idea with reading your Bible. We need to be in the Word every day because I know that when I'm not in the Word every day, I forget stuff. Stuff will come to me and I'll go, I don't know what that means for the Bible. I don't know what the gospel says about that. Someone will quote a verse and I'll go, that doesn't sound right, but I'm not sure. Or they'll bring out an idea of the Bible and I go, I just don't know about that. No, those times are going to come anyway. We can't read the whole Bible every single day. But being in the Word every day is important. Being in the Word every day is important. So that when those times come, when false doctrines, when false teachings come about, you'll know the difference, you'll know the real, you'll know the authentic, and you'll know what's not authentic. You'll know what's not real. And it all comes back to the gospel. Understanding what this book says, understanding what this story of God and man says is important for our lives. And guys, like I said, I'm not just saying this saying you need to read your Bibles because the Bible says so or you need to read your Bibles because Pastor Ryan said so or anything like that. Read your Bibles because, guys, this is, this is life. This is the only thing that matters. In the end, when eternity comes, you're going to look back and go, man, I'm really glad I did all those things. He says in 1 Timothy, bodily training is of some importance, but it's nothing compared to, to this, to spiritual training, to reading your Bibles. And I want you guys to know the truth. We all want to know the truth, don't we? We don't like living a life where we don't know the truth. And so I challenge you guys to know the truth. And I'm going to give you two challenges today. The first one comes from a rabbi. Okay, it was a modern-day rabbi. doesn't believe in Jesus or anything, but he said something about Christians. He said, If Christians really want to get to know their Savior, if they really want to get to know who Jesus was, they should be reading all four Gospels every week, apart from their normal Bible study. Man, reading all four Gospels every week, that's a lot. I'll make it a little bit easier on you guys. Tomorrow's September 1st. Okay, we're starting a new month. And you know what? It's going to be a busy month for a lot of you. A lot of the the kids are starting school. Parents, you're getting your kids to school, that kind of thing. It is a busy month. And yet in that busyness, we should still make time for God. In fact, we should make time for God first in our lives. And so what I challenge you guys to do is over the next month, read all four Gospels. That's one a week, okay? Matthew's 28 chapters. That's four chapters a day for the next week, okay? It's not that hard. It's like 20 minutes maybe. Mark is only 16 chapters. That's a little over two chapters a day. Luke, I think, is 24 chapters, a little over three chapters a day for that week. And John is 21 chapters, so three chapters a day for that week. Can you guys set apart time and either make it your Bible study or make it separate from your normal Bible study? But read through the Gospels. Get to know your Savior better this next month. Now, don't only read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for the rest of your life. Okay, The rest of the Bible is important. The rest of the Bible tells the rest of the story. But I challenge you guys, I'm going to be doing it over the next month, and I'd love to talk to you about it as you read through it as well. But there's one more challenge I have for you. And it comes out of 1 Timothy 2. That the headline in my Bible says, pray for all people. It's 
start out in verse 1. It says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And he continues on for kings, for high positions, all those kind of things. What I challenge you guys to do, not just for the next month, pray for all people. Pray for your church. First of all, pray for your pastors. We need it. Pray that we can be in the word every day so when those, those false teachings come, we'll know that they're not true, that we wouldn't get up here and teach false things. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders, that they would lead this church in a godly way. They would lead this church wherever God's taking it. Pray for your deacons, that they would manage this church well. Deacons have a big role in this church and, and, and have a lot to do. Pray for them. And finally, pray for all people. Pray for everyone here in this church. Pray for your church. That God would be moving, that the Spirit would be moving here. Pray for each other's needs. Pray for each other's praises. Be in the Word and be praying. Those are two of the most foundational things that I can tell you guys. But I don't want you to start that prayer tomorrow morning. Okay, You can start the Bible reading tomorrow morning. I want you to start that prayer today with me. And we're going to have the chance to live out what I just said right now. Um, so would the Ep family please come up here, um, as well as the elders. We're going to pray for the Ep family right now. Um, Brian Ep is going to be, on Tuesday, leaving for Bend, Oregon. And he's going to be riding his wheelchair there. Okay. I don't look forward to driving to Bend, Oregon, and he's going to ride his wheelchair. It's pretty amazing. Um, he's going to be riding down there to join in, with his friend in the walk for ALS. Um, he, uh, he's doing this. It's just such an amazing thing, um, as, as many of you guys have seen this family, despite the circumstances in their life, despite um, this disease that he's suffering from. They have the most optimistic look at God. And they're always following God. And just this fact that, you know, something that I would have a hard time doing when I can walk, he, he's going to do it in his wheelchair. And that's an amazing thing. And so he, he's doing this just as an example. Show others Christ through this. He's going to be able to do that. And also to support a friend that has ALS as well. And so I just want to pray um, for this family this morning. Um, just for, for his journey and the other things that are going on in there. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have um, an elder pray as, as well as Bob, um, if you guys would be willing to do that. So um, why don't you join me now in prayer for the Ep family. Dear God, I just pray uh, for, for Brian and for his family and just um, all the things that they're, they're going through right now, God, and just this week of uh, what's going to be a long week for, for Brian and as the boys ride along next to him, um, I just pray that that you would be with him. Keep them safe. Um, keep, uh, just pray that there would be no, no hiccups, no, no problems throughout the long journey, God. Um, and I just pray that this would be an example to others. God, those who, who have ALS, those who don't have ALS. They can see the hope that Brian has, that his hope isn't in this world. And that he knows that one day he'll be walking again with Christ. And so I just pray for this family now. As they, as they do this, that they can be that light shining for you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, as